The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. Hallelujah. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, the Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying on after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and you are our Redeemer. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. This week, as I was doing some reading, I came across a quote from St. Ignatius. Now, St. Ignatius uh, was a student of St. John, the Apostle. And he later became the bishop at Antioch before he was arrested for refusing to, uh, to give sacrifices to the emperor. He was transported to Rome for execution. And while he was in Rome, awaiting his death, he wrote a series of letters to the churches that he had relationships with. And one of those churches was the church in Ephesus. And so he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, to the bishop in Ephesus, who is a man named Onesimus. That might be a name that we're familiar with after some of our recent reading here. He writes this letter to Bishop Onesimus and his church at Ephesus. And there was a fantastic quote in this letter that I want to share with you. St. Ignatius writes, Whoever has understood our Lord's words understands his silence. Because God is known in his silence. 
God is known in His silence. The Gospel lesson that we read today about <clears throat> the woman in Tyre, from the region of Tyre and Sidon, the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman, depending on which of the Gospels that we're reading from today, is a hard passage. And it's a hard passage for us because it confronts a number of assumptions that we have, uh, mostly unconsciously, when we sit down to read the Gospels. Sometimes there are assumptions about God's silence. But there's also assumptions about God's grace, about trust and persistence and prayer. So in Matthew's Gospel... Matthew writes that Jesus leaves Galilee and withdraws to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Matthew only uses that word withdraw four times in his gospel. And every time he uses the word withdraw, he uses it to cleverly indicate to us that there was a reason that Jesus needed to head for the hills. In this case, he had, he had gone face to face with the, the religious leaders in Galilee uh, and it had not gone well for them, and so they were out to get Jesus. And so Jesus gathered his group together, and off they went into the region of Tyre and Sidon. They headed northwest of Galilee toward the seacoast to an area that is near where modern-day Damascus is. Now, remember, we talked about this a little bit in our Bible study on Wednesday night, that whenever the Gospel writers in particular, but also anytime else in Scripture, that we're reading Scripture, and the author points out to us very clearly where something is happening. When he includes place names, the author is doing this for a reason. The trouble for us is that we don't really have a conception of what Tyre and Sidon means or why it's interesting that Jesus draws to those places because, of course, they're just, you know, Bible place names. They, they have funny spellings and weird pronunciation. And, you know, Jesus goes from, from one kind of, you know, deserty place to another kind of deserty place, right? That's just how Bible stories work. When Matthew tells us that he withdraws to the region of Tyre and Sidon, he's indicating to us the kind of place that Jesus was going. Because there is a great deal of enmity between the people of Galilee and the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now, part of that is an ancient enmity that is between those places because Tyre and Sidon were part of the, the kingdom that we refer to now as Phoenicia. The Phoenician kingdom was, was centered in Tyre and Sidon, and the Phoenician kingdom was renowned for a number of things. One was the, uh, the incredible commerce lanes that they maintained. They were, they were a merchant empire. But also... They worshipped very bloodthirsty gods in Tyre and Sidon. And there is a particular princess from the region of Tyre who is married to the king in the northern kingdom of Israel. And her name is Jezebel. And Jezebel brings with her her household gods. And that becomes the slow downfall of the northern kingdom. She brings with her the debauchery and the idolatry that's associated with the Canaanite religion that's observed by the people of Phoenicia. But she and her husband, King Ahab, also have children. And one of their children is a daughter. Their daughter's name is Athaliah, who is married to the king in the southern kingdom, the king of Judah. And of course she, like her mother and her father, brings her household gods with her. 
and introduces the Canaanite worship into the region of Judah as well. And so everything that happens after that, the fall of Samaria, the fall of Jerusalem, the the exiles, the, the disruptions, the violence, all of those things can be traced back to the intermarriage between the people of Israel, the people of God's covenant, and the people of Tyre and Sidon. But there is a more contemporary problem there as well. So Tyre, as I mentioned, is a very prosperous place. And it's prosperous because in the ancient world, you, could, you, were, you were limited in the kinds of uh, textiles that you, could, that you could produce. And you were limited in that because they didn't have uh, the, uh, modern, uh, modern ways of, of replicating dyes. The color purple was incredibly valuable because the only way to produce the color purple in, in dyes at that time was to send people out into the ocean to gather up very, very tiny little mollusks and they would crush the shells up and that was how they produced the color purple. In fact, the color purple that was used at that time is referred to as Tyrian purple. It's named for the region that produces that particular kind of color and the people of Tyre were prosperous. They were extremely wealthy. But the region around Tyre, the region of Sidon, is not a very prosperous place. It's not a place where things grow well. It's, it's arid and it's kind of desolate. And so when there were problems, what they would do was simply go to places where there were more abundant resources, places like Galilee. Galilee is, of course, located in what we think of as the breadbasket of, of Palestine. It's a very fertile area. And the people in Tyre had enough money that they could buy whatever they want. And the people wouldn't say no to them. And so in times of famine and distress, other current, or not current, but contemporary sources tell us that the people of Tyre would simply buy up all of the bread from the region of Galilee, literally taking the bread away from the children. Matthew tells us that the woman who comes to Jesus is a Canaanite. That's the only time that that word is used in the entirety of the New Testament. Um, there's a few references to that word in, um, in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They, they use that word, but even then, it's just a transliteration of the word Canaanite. It's, it's just a transliteration of the, the Hebrew word Canaan. This isn't a word that describes her because there isn't a place called Canaan. This doesn't exist anymore. Matthew wants us to know the kind of person that this woman is who is coming to Jesus. She is a Canaanite. She comes from Tyre and from Sidon. She comes from this this place where there is debauchery, this place where there is affluence, this place where there is excess and idolatry. And she comes and she falls down at Jesus' feet. So we understand a little bit now of the backstory of what is going on. It helps us to unpack some of the things that Jesus says here. But what happens? So as Jesus is traveling through this region, a woman comes to him. And this woman has a problem. She says that her daughter is violently taken by demons. She uses that exact word. She uses the word, demons have violently taken my daughter. And she cries out to Jesus. She cries out to him saying, Master, saying, Lord, 
And then she calls him the son of David. She gives Jesus the messianic title, son of David. She calls out to him, God's anointed one, Lord, master, have mercy on me. My daughter is oppressed violently by spirits. And Jesus says nothing. KJV says he uttereth not a word. He doesn't even acknowledge that she's there. There's something about that that silence from Jesus that is upsetting to us, I think, when we read this. Maybe because we expect a response. When people come to Jesus and ask for things, Jesus turns and he responds to them because, of course, he's Jesus. Why wouldn't he? We have this assumption that when someone calls out to Jesus that immediately they receive his attention. Immediately they receive affirmation. And yet here, the call of this woman who is in distress to Jesus is met with silence. And it should for us call to mind our readings in the Psalms where God's people continually call out to God and are met with silence. Now obviously she's making some kind of a commotion in the village there because the disciples come to him and say, make her go away. There's a couple of ways that we can read that in the text. Uh, But the way that makes the most sense is they say, just do whatever it is that she wants so she shuts up. She's causing a scene. Let's just, let's just go on and just, you know, just deal with this. And Jesus says to his disciples, no. So the woman comes to intercede for her daughter and Jesus ignores her. And the disciples come to Jesus and Jesus says, no. Now I don't know about you, but most of the time in my life when I have when I have poured out myself before the Lord and there's only been silence, the reaction that I have in my own heart is, well, fine then. And then I go on my way. Maybe that's not where we stay, but that is definitely what my heart wants to do. Confronted with the silence of God, my heart says, well, fine, be that way. I'll go do in my I'll go do my own thing. I don't I, I don't need you. I can do this myself. But Matthew tells us that the woman falls down at Jesus' feet. That's at least the way that our translation, the word that he uses, that, that Matthew uses, is she worships him. She prostrates herself in front of Jesus, falls down at his feet, and begs him, have mercy. But again, Jesus rejects it. In fact, he rejects it by saying, is it right to take bread off of the children's table and give it to the dogs? One commentator that I was reading this week said, I don't care what culture that you're from. If you call a woman a dog, that's that's not a a way of endearing yourself to the people who are in that particular community. (laughs) Regardless of what your cultural background is, that's not the way that people talk to one another. Jesus says, is it right to take the bread from the children's table and give it to the dogs? Now that phrase dogs in in this culture, in the the biblical world, is a phrase that the Old Testament uses to refer to Gentiles. So we can can hear it in that way, and that, that helps us out a little bit to hear it in that way. But it only helps a little bit. 
let's be honest. Jesus says, is it right to take away the children's bread so that the Gentiles can eat? There may be a sideways reference here to what happens whenever a famine comes through the region where the Gentiles use their opulence to steal away the bread from the mouths of the people who are their neighbors. But this woman persists. She will not be put off. And she comes back to Jesus and says, no. But that doesn't mean that they can't have what's left over. She comes back and presses against him again and again. She does this exactly the same way that Moses presses back against God when God is ready to simply wipe out the people that, that he has liberated from slavery in Egypt. She does this in exactly the same way that Jacob does when he grabs God by the shoulders and will not let him go until he gets the answer that he's looking for. She does this in exactly the same way that Abraham does when he stands in the plain and intercedes for the lives of the people in a city filled with wickedness. She does this the same way that the psalmist will not stop crying out again and again, you are God, so be God. That's the cry that she gives. You're God, be God. And Jesus looks at her and says, How great is your faith? The only time that he uses that phrase in Matthew's gospel is a few chapters earlier. And it is also a Gentile who has come to him to beg on behalf of one of his slaves. He says to the centurion, the Roman centurion, the Gentile, How great is your faith, greater than any that I've seen in all of Israel. And again here in Tyre and in Sidon in this place of idolatry and debauchery and opulence, he says, how great is your faith? How great is your faith? And her daughter is healed. So often we are upset by the silence of God because we feel like we deserve a response. When we are confronted by God's silence in the midst of prayer, in the midst of our own trauma, in the midst of our own difficulties, and we cry out to the Lord and we receive silence, there is an anger that can creep up in us because we feel like we deserve a response. We feel that we deserve a response because somewhere in our brains we have imagined that we have done something to earn that response. That God owes it to us to respond to us. That we are entitled to an answer from God. That if we call out in the right way, at the right time, with the right words, then God has to give us some kind of a boon. He has to grant our wish. But God is not a genie in a bottle. He's not an idol on the mantelpiece that we can placate so that he gives us good luck. The truth is that you and I have done nothing whatsoever to earn God's grace. That's why it's grace. 
It's only always ever a gift that God gives to His people. Grace is about trust. It's about you and I giving ourselves over to God, entrusting our care to God's protection, to God's provision, to God's love. I think that's what Ignatius is talking about when he reminds the people in Ephesus that if we understand the Lord's words, then we'll understand His silence because we know God in His silence. We know God in His silence because God's silence is an invitation to us to trust Him. To really, actually trust Him. Not in a way where we are filled with entitlement. Not in the way where we feel like we have a right or that God owes us something. But instead to simply abandon ourselves to the care and the mercy and the grace and the love of God. God's silence is an invitation for us to trust. Not trust in an idle way where we just sort of shrug our shoulders and say, well, I guess God will do what He's going to do when He does it. But it's about leaning in. It's actively leaning closer to God. Drawing closer and closer to Him. The silence of God pulls us closer and closer to the heart of God. That's why God remains silent. So that you and I will move closer. So that you and I will lean closer. So that you and I will trust more truly. Because God's silence reminds us what grace is. It reminds us what God's love is. Because God's love and grace is not something that we deserve. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something that we can command. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives to God's people that is born out of God's abundance. It was only a chapter earlier in Matthew when Jesus has gathered together a crowd of thousands and he takes a handful of bread and uses it to feed all of them with baskets of food left over. God's abundance knows no end. His grace is born out of that abundance. And you and I are His children who have been invited into that space. But there's something here that I think that we miss. Oftentimes for us, we live in a culture that is at least understands itself to, to, to be based on Christian values. Most of us come from families that have been Christian for generations. Christians who were raised by Christians, who were raised by Christians, and we understand ourselves to belong to Christ in that way. But here's the truth of it. Knowing what I know about you gathered here today, I may be making a bit of an assumption but I don't know of anyone in the room today that traces their lineage back to being people of the covenant. If you look far enough back in every single one of our family trees, you're only going to find Canaanites. 
people who worship angry, bloody deities, people who do violence, people who betray, people who hurt, who pillage, who enslave. That's our heritage. That's who we are. You look far enough back and every single one of us finds ourselves outside of the covenant. And yet, what does God do? He calls you His child. There's nothing about you or about me that that gives us the, the sense that we should be entitled to that. This is God's grace. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That His grace finds us where we are. It finds us in the region of Tyre and Sidon. It finds us in Rome. It finds us in the various places that our ancestors lived. And it calls us into a new kind of community. A new covenant that He establishes in Himself. A new covenant where we don't mark our flesh for Him, but He has marked His flesh for us. And now He calls us Home. He calls us his brothers and his sisters. He calls us co-heirs. That's God's grace. It's not something that we've earned. It's simply something that God has given to his people. And he invites us into that place to lean closer to him. And sometimes we're going to ask those hard questions and be met with silence. And the invitation to us in those places of silence is to lean closer. Because God is known in His silence. If we know His words, we will find Him in those places of quietness. When we bring our needs to Him, as we kneel together around His table and receive what we have been given, not what we deserve. As we bring our needs to Him and lay them at the feet of His throne, As we come to Him to beg for healing. The promise is that He is with us. That God is with us right now. In this moment, in this space together. God is with us. And He is calling us to Himself. Calling us to draw near to His heart. Calling us to cry out in the midst of our need. Calling us to persist in our cry, calling us to insist, to lean closer, to draw near to Him and receive all of the the abundant grace that flows from His throne. Because God is known in His silence. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand with me now. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you.
hope with our Father is restored. Hope with our Father is restored.